Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's episode 17 of the Wax and Wayne podcast. My name is Matt Carlson. I am your host. I'm the guy who runs this podcast, this website, this blog, this thing we've got going. I'm very, very glad you're here with us today. Uh, This week, in this particular week's episode, we've got some more new release and tour news. Then, We've got a feature segment on some things you can get on the cheap to help upgrade your vinyl collection and improve your listening experience on your home setup. And then we're going to finish things up with another installment of our Dollar Bin Darling series. This is a good one. Let's get cracking. So once again, welcome back. As I mentioned earlier, I'm your host, Matt Carlson, and uh, it means a lot to me that you're here. Hope you're having a good day, good evening, good morning, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Maybe you're at work, you're in your car, you're at the gym. I most definitely am not at the gym. Um, I, I shudder to think how long it's been since I've been to the to the gym. But uh, things are good. I hope I hope you're well. I hope your near, new year is still off to a good start. Um, I want to start with just a kind of uh, a couple quick things. Before we jump right into the news, uh, first and foremost, I want to thank so very many of you. We have had a, a whole bunch of new subscribers and followers on um, iTunes and Stitcher and social media, and it really feels like we're starting to gain some momentum and some traction with this thing, and that really means a lot to me. Um, it's a, It's been a fun journey to kind of jump back into this thing. We've been going for uh, just about a month now. And uh, since we kind of uh, revamped this thing back in the middle of December, and I'm, I'm really proud of, of what what I've been doing, and and the and the friends and and folks who have kind of helped contribute to this, and um, that wealth is going to continue to be spread. I've been talking to lots of folks over the last couple of weeks about people who are going to start contributing to the site and different interview segments we're going to do. Um, I hope you all got a chance to listen to the two podcasts we put up over the last week. Um, on uh, Friday, January 6th, we put up a podcast where uh, the meat and potatoes of the episode was my conversation with John Howard, who is one of the managers over at Flat Black and Circular, which is a record shop in East Lansing. It's kind of the home base for my record buying and has been for close to 30 years. Um, that was a really fun talk to have with John. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, you can go find it wherever you get podcasts. And if you didn't get it, and you'd like to get a podcast in your feed every Friday for absolutely free, just subscribe. The more subscribers we have, and of course, as I've told you before, the more reviews we have, the more likely we are to find new listeners. Um, as I always mention, please get involved on social media. You can find us on Facebook. Just uh, search Wax and Wayne Music. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Both the handles there are at waxandwaynemusic.com. I also have a little bit of personal pride to share with you regarding the site. Um, I am recording this on Wednesday, uh, January 11th, uh, just a couple of days before it goes live. And on Tuesday, January 10th, we had our most successful day ever on the site. We had more than twice as much traffic in a single day as we've ever had in the entire time that this site has been up for over two years. Um, and um, it's it's really been gratifying to see so many folks kind of jump on the bandwagon a little bit, and it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. 
and it's it's been really really gratifying. Sometimes I feel like I do this in the bub in a bubble because I I I put this thing in my computer and I hear myself talk through headphones and then it just kind of goes out into the world and you know sometimes I don't uh I don't always know what people are thinking of it what they what their uh, uh reactions to it are or, or or how many of you are actually getting it and 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 digesting it and you know frankly it means a lot to me that you're taking time out of your life to make this a part of your day-to-day life even on a weekly basis it just means a great deal to me so thank you um let's go ahead and uh Get to the news, shall we? Every time I hear that thing, I want to do my Edward G. Robinson voice. I'm gonna be like, "We're gonna give me the news." See, like, I don't. Do you guys? Are you guys old enough to remember those uh, Rocky, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle? Jesus, man, the the Bugs Bunny cartoon where um his uh. He's he's sort of kidnapped by this gangster named Rocky, and and that guy's got that real Edward G. Robinson voice. Um. I'm not going to do it because I just did a really bad Edward G. Robinson. But I, for some reason, I always think of Edward G. Robinson. And then whenever I think of that voice, I always think of Rocky and the Bugs Bunny cartoons because uh, my brain is wired incorrectly. Um, and I spent far too much time consuming culture as a child, if you can call that culture. So uh, we got a handful of uh, tidbits of news and stuff uh, going on right now with the, uh, the week that was, as uh, Walter Cronkite used to say. That was Walter Cronkite, wasn't it? Um, yeah, we got uh, we got some stuff going on, so let's uh, let's jump into it. So first and foremost, um, and this is a little bit of a thing where it was two things that I'm really fond of, uh, kind of converging and coming together, and that probably made it more newsy than it actually is. But because these are things that I care about, and sometimes I feel like these are bands that get left under the radar a little bit, I'm going to try to help spread the love. Uh, the first tidbit of news this week is that Teenage Fan Club have announced that um, they've they've just got a new string of dates uh, for March on the west coast of the United States. And the reason that that is news is, A, um, I got the opportunity to see Teenage Fan Club twice last fall, once in Chicago and once in Detroit, both at the end of October. And um, they were just tremendous shows. But uh, Teenage Fan Club are actually bringing out with them on the west coast um, Britta Phillips, who is the uh, bass player in Luna and also the wife of Luna's Dean Wareham. And um, it's nice to see two things that don't get enough pub and coverage uh, sort of going out together on the road. And hopefully that will start to build a little momentum. If you are a teenage fan club fan, and if you love power pop and melody and excellent songwriting, you totally should be a teenage fan club fan. Um, They also have a string of dates pretty much throughout most of February in the United Kingdom and in Europe. And then, as I mentioned, they're going to be coming to the west coast of the U.S. in the second half of March. And actually, in the first half of March, they've got some dates out uh, in the uh, Oceania part of the world. So they're going to be doing Australia, New Zealand, and some dates in Japan. And based on some rumblings I am hearing, there are also going to be some Midwest and East Coast tour dates uh, for the U.S. uh, that uh, Teenage Fan Club will be releasing, I hope, soon. Uh, that is the uh, the thought process, the rumor, the uh, expectation, if you will. Um, we've had any number of things going on over at the blog. And if you have not been to the blog, it's waxandwaynemusic.com. And over there you will find um, there is a, basically a show page for every podcast episode that goes up. There's a wonderful section that we have called The Primer, which was the other thing that we put up last week. We sort of reinstated The Primer after a full two-year hiatus, 
And um, that was done by my dear friend, Joel Kuyper, who focused on uh, Guided by Voices. So if you have not had a chance to hear that, that's another reason you should be subscribing in iTunes. And then on the website, we also have a section that we just call the blog, which is basically short posts of news, things that I find interesting based on um, you know, tastes of uh, circles that I run in, records that I buy, and uh, stuff that's coming out on vinyl. I don't try to stick specifically with stuff that I would buy, but I try to find things that are that are vinyl related, that are interesting, um, that are relevant to the discussion that we have here. And as I have mentioned before, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm shitting on or avoiding, um, you know, top 40 acts that might get pressed on vinyl. You know, somebody like, say... Uh, Lord has a new record coming out, or Katy Perry, or Taylor Swift, or Adele. It doesn't mean that I think those things are terrible, um, but I I don't know that I'm the right guy to cover those sorts of things. So I am aware that those records are in existence, and I am aware that literally millions of people love them, and and hundreds of thousands of them have bought them on vinyl. So don't think that I am avoiding them or shitty about them. I just don't know that this is the sort of audience that's going to love that kind of thing. So if you're sitting out there thinking that I'm just a dick because I haven't talked about the Lord record that's coming out, I just haven't discussed it because I don't know that it's germane to uh, my life. And quite frankly, (laughs) my life is uh, pretty boring, but it's also a big part of what makes up this podcast. And more importantly, I don't know that it's particularly relevant and interesting for the folks who are in our listening group. I didn't mean to run off on that little tangent, but nonetheless, there is a blog section of the site that is basically where the news is. So let's run through those handful of things that we have seen this week, and let's kind of take a look at uh, at what's what, shall we? So first things first, um, we got the tour news out of the way for the most part, um, but uh, the Buzzcocks, and uh, this is a great uh, punk band from Manchester, and uh, they are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. Their first EP came out in 1977. And to celebrate, uh, Domino Records, an English label, are uh, reissuing that original four-song EP called Spiral Scratch as a seven-inch vinyl. It's going to be available in a very limited quantity of 300 uh, units. And that is going to be released a little bit later this year. And it's been remastered. And in addition to that, on March 10th, um, Domino is also reissuing, actually not reissuing, they're issuing a, uh, a new collection of early recordings, demos, and outtakes called Time's Up. And this is a series of songs and clips that were recorded by Howard DeVoto, who was the original lead singer and frontman for the Buzzcocks, who then later went on to form, uh, the band Magazine and then after magazine went on to form an indie band called Luxurious. So these uh these songs were recorded um in that initial time when Devoto was the lead singer and um that's that's where these these times up uh demo tracks are coming from. And both again both of these releases are kind of uh standing in to serve as a uh, a celebration of the Buzzcocks 40th anniversary. And if you're interested in both of these releases, Uh, Domino's got a box set version with all of this stuff together that's available for pre-order right now on their website. And again, these two releases, uh, the Spiral Scratch EP and the Time's Up compilation will both come out in March on Domino Records. You can head over to the Domino Records website, or if you find the Buzzcocks article 
on our uh, on our blog, there's a link right there to the Buzzcocks section of the Domino store. Uh, another reissue that I am particularly excited about, and as a matter of fact, I got an email this morning that this has actually been put into a box, taped up, given to a local uh, uh, Newman-like postal carrier who will hopefully at one point deliver through the uh, postal service, uh, come to my house uh, and and grace my turntable. It is yet another reissue on Light in the Attic Records, just a terrific boutique reissue label that I think does some of the best work out there. Um, these are some folks that I really, really want to have a chance to talk to and share that conversation with you. So I am working on that. Um, but anyway, this Friday, January 13th, the very same day that this podcast comes out, Light in the Attic is reissuing a record called 13, which is a 1972 record from Lee Hazelwood. Now, if you're not familiar with Lee Hazelwood, get on Google. For, well, first of all, actually, that's not true. You are. You just don't know it. Surely you've heard These Boots Are Made for Walking by Nancy Sinatra. That is, that's a Lee Hazelwood production. I believe he wrote or co-wrote the song. He's all over it. Um, he's a guy you're aware of his existence. Um, he put out a just an absolute string of terrific records from about the mid-60s through the early to mid-70s that have, I'm so grateful for this, almost all been reissued over the last five or six years. And 13 is another piece of that puzzle. This is a particularly interesting Lee Hazelwood record. Um, Hazelwood had a label called Lee Hazelwood Industries, known as LHI for short. And in 1972, when this record was put together, he was living in Sweden and he'd been there for a year or two. And he was kind of bopping around, hanging out with some pals. And there was a Swedish filmmaker that he was that he was friends with. And he basically was just kind of spending his days just kind of, you know, making movies and working on records and going through archive material for the uh, the LHI thing. And LHI was about to go belly up. And 13 was really never supposed to be a Lee Hazelwood record. The idea was that he wrote the songs and he helped do a bunch of the instrumentation. But there was a guy who was a, an in-house producer for uh, LHI called Larry Marks. And the plan was that he was going to do all the singing on the record. And I, I don't even know that it's clear whether or not this was supposed to be a Larry Marks record if they were going to give it a different a different name. But anyway, this thing sat around for a while and was unreleased. And when Hazelwood was going back through these archives, he found this and realized that, you know, he didn't have any funding, didn't have any distribution, and he wasn't he wasn't hanging around America anymore. And LHL LHI was belly up. And so there was really no vehicle to release this Larry Marks record that was just kind of floundering. And so, uh, you know, Hazelwood took the tapes back to Sweden with him. And they, you know, they cut out all of Marx's vocals and Hazelwood recorded everything else and boom, 13 was a thing. And now uh, the folks at Light in the Attic, who, again, just do a tre tremendous job, um, they did a number of the uh, Hazelwood reissues like House Safe for Tigers and Trouble is a Lonesome Town and most recently Cowboy in Sweden, which was just reissued last fall. Um, They've also done some really great stuff like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Native North American series, that that thing is just incredible. Um, and they're, they're probably are most famous for 
the Rodriguez reissues and the Searching for Sugarman soundtrack. Um, so if you from if you've seen that doc and you and you're familiar with those records, that's all part of the work of of Light in the Attic. Um, in in any case, uh, this Hazelwood stuff is just a goldmine of just terrific production, really kind of idiosyncratic and interesting song craft, and he's got this sort of like very limited baritone voice. He's like just a little bit better of a singer than somebody like Leonard Cohen, for example. Um, but he makes these really sort of fun and engaging and catchy records. Um, it's just, it, it, they're really fun. And 13 is now available for pre-order. Obviously, it's coming out the day that you hear this, so it'll be available for order. There is a special gold edition that is limited to um, uh, 300 copies. And um, and then there's a regular uh, conventional black vinyl version. And both versions of the album are going to feature download cards with a ton of outtracks and demos and bonus stuff. And then there's some liner notes uh, by Larry Marks where he kind of tells the story of how the record was made. And there are some other LHI staff and some friends of, of Hazelwood who uh, left us a few years ago um, who are involved in this project as well. And they have contributed to the liner notes too. And if you've ever seen any of the Light in the Attic stuff, um, their liner notes are often worth the price of admission. So you might pay, you know, 20 or 22 bucks for a new record. And the stuff that you get in terms of supplements is often, uh, that's as much value in many cases as the music itself. It's a, it's just a really, uh, yeah, they just do a superb job. So anyway, Lee Hazelwood's 13 is available for order now. And if you have heard any of the Hazelwood stuff and you enjoy it, I would, I would encourage you to go over there and get some. It's, uh, it's fun stuff. Stay tuned. We do have some things in the work to kind of hip you more to the uh, cult of Lee Hazelwood uh, as we move through 2017. Uh, Austin, Texas band Spoon have announced a new album title and a possible release date. Uh, this was one of the records we mentioned on last week's episode, and in our feature section on the website is one of the 12 records coming in 2017 that have us excited. So now Spoon, we knew they had a record coming. We just didn't know what it was going to be called or when we might actually see it. And just the other day, they were interviewed on a Sirius XM radio program called Debatable. And they have uh, released the fact that the band, uh, the band have released the fact that the, uh, the album will be called Hot Thoughts. And it was kind of interesting. The, the guys in the band were sitting around trying to figure out if March 17th was or was not the release date, and they really weren't sure. The record is coming out on Matador Records, a venerable uh, New York City label. And um, the label has not actually confirmed yet that March 17th is the expected uh, release date for that. But the band have also acknowledged that they will be playing this year's South by Southwest Music Festival in Austin in the middle of March. So one would have to think that the timing is pretty close. If it's not the 17th, I would suspect we're going to find out definitive dates here in the very near future. But it looks like we're going to get uh, a new Spoon record here in the next two to three months. And I would also imagine that uh, with the announcement of the album title, the South by Southwest thing, and the summer schedule coming up, I would also imagine there are going to be a number of opportunities for you to go and check out uh, Spoon Live somewhere near you in the next few months. Our last tidbit of news this week is about the Montreal band Arcade Fire. And um, I, I am a particular fan of this band. I especially love... Their uh, their first three records, I was sort of 
meh about uh, the Reflector LP. But this was another band that we focused last week on our highlights of uh, LPs to look forward to in 2017. And now, just the other day, uh, this is a really interesting source, Red Bull Poland, which I didn't even know was A, a thing, and B, a media outlet that someone would talk to. But anyway, they they pulled this scoop. Jeremy Gara, who is the drummer for the for Arcade Fire, has uh, has stated that the, the the recording on that record is done. The album is finished being recorded, and they are mixing it right now. So the record's pretty much finished. They're just kind of tweaking some things in the um, in the mixing stage, which for those of you who have made a record know um, this can take a while. But that means they're getting close to being done. And uh, while there's no official release date yet, nor is there a title that has been announced, uh, the band does have some summer festivals already on its tour docket, which kind of indicates that probably a mid-year release is likely. We were sort of tipped a few weeks or a couple months ago that we might get a spring release from Arcade Fire. To be honest, I would imagine if that record is still in the mixing stage as recently as a week ago, uh, a spring release seems almost impossible to me to put together, but you never know. Um, the more interesting tidbit from the... I said tidbit like three times just since I've I've started talking. The more interesting uh, piece of news or revelation that came out of the conversation with Jeremy Gara was that the band have some pretty vague plans at present, but it looks like the schedule and the time that they have blocked off to tour in support of this record has has the possibility of being mammoth. I'm going to quote Jeremy Gara here. He said, quote, from my perspective, it looks like Arcade Fire starts touring in April and finish around April of 2019, end quote. Meaning there is a distinct possibility that Arcade Fire might be out in support of this record for a two-year stretch of time, give or take. That's an incredible commitment and not something that we see so much anymore. That was more a a mantra of the 80s and 90s, but perhaps Arcade Fire are going a little old school here. Uh, obviously, I'm sure there are some breaks in there, but they they look to be gearing up to go on a pretty extensive tour in support of whatever this new record is going to be. Of course, we will keep a very, very close eye on that and all the other tour news that is uh, germane to our discussion. I mentioned a couple of times that um, that you should... Uh, check out the 12 records that we're excited about in 2017. That is both a part of our podcast from last week, episode 15, where I talked to uh, John Howard from uh, Flat Black and Circular. Uh, That is a part of that same episode. In fact, it's the segment right before the interview. So again, if you haven't heard that interview and you haven't heard our piece, you haven't heard episode 15 of the podcast from last week, episode 16, came out on Monday, December, excuse me, January 9th, and that was our Guided by Voices primer. Again, that is a series that we will be doing intermittently throughout 2017, where we delve a little more deeply into a band, put together a one-hour playlist, and then the uh, contributor and curator of that playlist and essay will then sit down with me and we'll have a talk about that. So that's another thing you should keep your eye out for and another reason to be subscribed. So we're going to take a quick little break. And then we'll be back with some uh, some inexpensive tips to improve your listening setup and help uh, protect your record collection. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. How's it going? I know that we were only gone like 30 seconds, and I, but I, I missed you. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't have you away. Um, wow, what a cheese ball. So our second segment today is uh, some affordable vinyl upgrades that you might look at to start off the new year. Now that the holidays are over, you might still be wondering how you can use that gift card from Amazon that Grandpa uh, Dave got you or that Grandma Helen threw you for 25 or 50 bucks, Or maybe you got a Visa gift card from your holiday office party and you're thinking, I could buy a couple more records, but I don't know. I mean, I, I let me stop there. I, I, feel, I feel like you should always buy a couple more records. But maybe there are a couple of things you can do that might have a little more effect on what you're getting out of the records you already have. But, you know, 25 or 50 bucks, I can't really use that to upgrade my stereo setup, can I? Well, it might be a little more doable than you'd thought. So let's, let's, let's just jump into a few things you might be able to get, again, mostly on the cheap, to help make your records sound better. And I will admit that many of the things that I'm going to talk about are designed for the newer turntable owner, but some might even apply to a seasoned veteran as well. So every vinyl lover ought to have some of these things that I'm going to talk about as an integral part of their listening setup. So I just want to talk about a few things that are inexpensive and that maybe seem like they're not super necessary or you don't know how much use you would get out of them or you don't even know why they might be valuable or perhaps more importantly, they're a lot less sexy to spend 10, 15, 25 bucks on than getting a new record or two or hopping over to your local shop. Or getting on Soundstage Direct and ordering some new thing that you've been pining over. I'm not telling you not to buy those records. I'm simply saying that there are some things that you might want to consider doing that will help make your listening experience better. And more importantly, help to extend the life of your turntable. And perhaps most importantly, the life of your records. So, let's, let's start here. Uh, I did this a couple of years ago and was, and was shocked at, at how much of a difference it made. I upgraded to a cork mat. Now, most of you probably know what I'm talking about, but most, at least new turntables that come out, come with a pretty skimpy felt mat that just kind of lays on top of the platter and is, you know, oftentimes it's a little wavy or it tends to stick to the record when you pull it up and it it doesn't really give you some of the support that, that your record really needs. Uh, some of the older turntables, like if you're using a used turntable or maybe a nicer deck, it might come with a rubber mat, which is good. Um, you probably still might want to look at a cork mat. It tends to be a little more dense. I'll be honest with you. I don't understand all of the science behind it, but what I can tell you that it did for me was I have a uh, a project debut or project. I'm not sure what the, 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 the proper nomenclature is, but I have a project debut turntable. And it came with a pretty simple, straightforward, kind of lightweight felt mat. And one, one of the things that would happen is I would lift a record off, and if there was any static at all, like this time of year in the winter, um, my house is real dry because I'm running the furnace all the time. And so what happens is there's static electricity that generates, and then that, that static causes the record and that felt mat to kind of stick together. And when you lift the record off to either flip it over or put it back in its sleeve... The mat has then stuck to it. Well, in essence, the mat has been stuck to it, and that electricity has been engaged the entire time you've been listening. And the benefit that I got, and I think that many people get, is it really tightened up the bass response in my system and helped me with tracking and skate issues. Now, what I mean by tracking is your 
needle on your turntable is designed to rest in the center of the groove in the record that you're playing. And tracking is basically how much force is being used to hold that needle in the groove. And you have to kind of find the right balance here. Many of you may know this. When you set up your turntable, you, you want it to have enough tracking weight that it doesn't skip. That when you walk by, the needle doesn't bounce out of the groove and all of a sudden then it, it gets set back down on the record and it's in a different spot in the song. We've all been through that. Um, you know, I used to love it when I when I got my first turntable. I'll give you a small tangent here. Um, and I had this trouble with a really shitty little setup that I had uh, when I was in like sixth grade in my bedroom. And my mom just kept telling me to stack quarters on top of the tone arm until that went away. Um, that's not really, really a great idea because if you use too much force, as you push that needle down into the grooves, what happens is you're actually wearing away the groove in your record and you're doing damage to your record. I'm giving you sort of an oversimplified version of it, but in, but in essence, you have to find the right balance. I found that, um, that I got better bass response and I felt like I, I was able to sort of, uh, hone in on that tracking balance and tracking weight a little more easily and without uh without using as much tracking weight once I had a firmer foundation in place via the cork mat um and I you know it just made my vinyl sound better I mean maybe some of that was a little bit of a mental game I was playing with myself because you know I I got one from from the needle doctor called the simple mat record mat that's 2695 there's a turntable lab version called the turntable cork mat that's 20 bucks that you can get on Amazon. You you can get a lot of these. I mean, like anything for audiophile stuff, any of these things that I'm going to mention, I'm going to mention the low to mid-range price. If you want to go spend $200 on a new cork mat for your turntable, you are welcome to do that. I have no idea whether or not it's worth the money, and I'm probably not going to spend $200 to find out. So the cork mat is a really good way for you to kind of tighten up the bass response in your system It'll help you a little bit with tracking and skate issues. Skate is the side-to-side -side motion, if you will, uh, that your that your thing might make uh, your, your thing, that your 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 tone arm and your cartridge and your needle, um, you know how likely that is to kind of come out of the groove and sort of move side to side again. I'm not explaining this very well. I'm sure I'll get some emails from people who have a much better understanding of how this works and more importantly can can put it into words in English better than I can, which is sort of a thing I'm having trouble with right now. So anyway, a, a cork mat is a nice little thing that you can get um, that I think will help to improve the sound of your records and it will help to improve the, improve the longevity of your records because you'll probably have a little bit better control of how you set your skate and your tracking weight on your deck. Now, the second thing that I would encourage all of you to get, and this may be the one that I would encourage you all to get the most. This may be the one thing that if you don't have, you've got to have one, and it's a stylus cleaner. For those of you who are brand new to this, the stylus is basically another word for your needle. So I use this thing called the Groovy Stylus Cleaner. And the idea here is a stylus cleaner is a brush or a pad that you can use to clean the needle on your turntable. So you get dirt and dust and gunk, and you get that stuff, and it comes from a couple of different places. Number one, virtually all of your records, except for the ones that you've given a deep clean to, and we'll talk about the deep clean in a couple minutes, they're all going to have some dirt on them. Specifically, if you're buying used records, 
the cheaper they are and the older they are, the more dirty they are likely to be. So if you've got a bunch of stuff that you got from garage sales, Salvation Armies, estate sales, relatives, stuff that's been you know stored away in somebody's basement for 30 years, those are likely to be really dirty records. And we're going to talk about a couple of options to clean those. But one of the things that's going to happen is even if you clean them really well, chances are pretty good some of that gunk is going to stay in the grooves and then eventually it is going to travel up to your needle. Well, what happens is we have cats at my house. And no, my cats don't, <laughs> don't get on my records, but they lose hair in the house. And one of the things that tends to happen is even if I have my dust cover on, invariably I get a little bit of cat hair every once in a great while that winds up finding its way to my needle, to my stylus. Sometimes I get little pieces of lint or dirt or gunk from an old record that needs to be cleaned better than I cleaned it the last time I played it. And you need something to clean off that needle because when there's stuff on your needle, it's going to make the sound coming out of your speaker sound like shit. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I use this thing called the Groovy Stylus Cleaner. It was 10 bucks. I got it through Needle Doctor. I don't care if you get this stuff from Amazon or Needle Doctor or Soundstage Direct or your local stereo shop or wherever. I'm just telling you what I've done. Um, this is a little padded brush, and it comes with this tiny little bottle of cleaning solution. And it was again, it was 10 bucks. And the idea is you take this cleaning solution and you dab a little bit of it on the brush. It's really more like a pad. And then you use that to clean off the uh, the stylus itself, and then you wash out the brush and you let it dry. You can also get a dry brush. I have one of these to simply just kind of wipe away any, and I'm actually looking down and I'm, I'm pantomiming. You can't see this because this is a, a podcast, but I'm actually pantomiming with my right hand um, how you would brush away dirt from the needle. That's how nerdy I am about this. So you need to get some kind of brush because you don't want to physically touch your needle if you can help it. It's just not a good idea. And whatever route you choose, whether you get something really fancy or you get a carbon brush or a diamond style brush or you just use some, you know, really small, simple thing or, um, you know, you get a little like you can get a little three dollar brush from Amazon that I happened to see the other day. Um, it just needs to be something that's dedicated for cleaning off your needle. It doesn't get dirty and it, it's only used for that. It's not sexy, but the reality is you've got to have this. It's an absolute necessity. Again, it's going to help your cartridge last longer. And, and again, if, even if you're getting a, a fairly entry-level cart, you're talking about 75 or 100 bucks probably, you know, to get something pretty good. So spend $10 on this and extend the life of your cartridge. And again, it's going to help your vinyl sound better. Now we're going to move on to, to a slightly different kind of brush, and this is a record brush. And this is a dry brush. And what I mean by that is you don't have to put a cleaning solution on this particular brush. The idea behind this, and I think this gives you real bang for your buck, is you, play, you place your platter on the desk. Most of you have probably seen this, but many of you maybe haven't. And again, this is probably geared more toward the new vinyl buyer. But the idea is what you do is you put your record on, you turn your platter on, that's the thing that spins, and then you basically just rest this brush, or you, you guide this brush across your record as it spins so that it goes two or three or four revolutions, and you wipe away a thin layer of, of, of dirt and hair and maybe even the occasional very, very light fingerprint 
This is really helpful after you've really done a good job cleaning your records and you just want to knock a few specks of dirt or dust off, off of your record. And lots of these are, are in that 10 to $20 range. So again, for less than the price of a new record in most cases, you can get something to help uh, sort of benefit the longevity of your vinyl. And if you've got some decent records that are clean and you've got a nice, you know, even entry-level cartridge, like, you know, one of the $60 or $70 AT cartridges or the, the Shure, I think it's the AX7 maybe, uh, forgive me if I'm giving you the wrong number, you know, the, the, one of the first nicer entry-level cartridges I had was the Ortofone Red. Um, I now have the Ortofone Blue. You know, those are all cartridges that are going to cost you $100, $200 or more. Um, you know, with the exception of like that entry level AT cart, um, it's worth extending the life of that to get a record brush and to get a brush for your stylist. These are things that you can use every time you play a record. If you're not doing this, you could be causing damage both to your needle and your record. And you're certainly not getting the best sonic quality that you possibly can out of your turntable. Now you, you can, again, spend a hundred bucks on a brush if you want to. But I really don't think the people who are here listening to me explain this are really in a spot to do that or ready to do that or need to do that. You know, sometimes you can even find these um, at a, you know, a thrift store or uh, an estate sale or a garage sale. These are things to, you know, keep an eye out for. But you can jump on Amazon or any place that sells, you know, turntable accessories and you can buy one of these for 10 or $15. In fact, maybe what you want to do is if you want to get, you know, if you got a $50 gift card, you could buy a stylus cleaner and a record brush and still buy a couple new records and not really have to spend any extra money. So again, you can still get a couple records and get these things if you got a $50 or $60 gift card. Um, it's just really important, even though it seems kind of, like I said, it, it doesn't seem sexy, but the reality is you've got to take care of your equipment and you've got to take care of your of your records and the best way to do that is to keep everything clean and you don't get the need to get totally ocd about it but you do need to make sure that you're taking care of your records on a, on a pretty regular basis and you ought to be at the very least dusting them off every time you spin aside so the next step really in terms of cleaning your records is to look at doing some sort of a <coughs> excuse me some sort of a uh, a wet or a solution clean. And there are a number of ways you can go about doing this, but I want to I want to take a look at 3. And these are all um these are all pretty straightforward and you've probably seen these if you've done any kind of research on record cleaning or anything. And I'm going to talk a, a little bit about what I do and a couple of other options that might be available to you <clears throat> just in case you're not aware. But again, the the brush issue the concept behind that is that you are doing essentially a light cleaning. Think of it as the difference between um, when you brush off a record, it's a little bit like vacuuming your carpet a couple times a week. You're getting rid of the the, the dirt that sits on top of of the rug that you're that you're vacuuming. But every once in a while, what you need to do is you need to go get a Stanley steamer or have a professional carpet cleaner come in and clean out your carpets or clean out your area rug. And that's really what a wet clean or a solution clean does <clears throat> for your records. Now, the best way to do this is for you to clean your record whenever you get uh, 
a record that is new to you. So what I mean by that is if you buy a sealed record that's brand new from your local shop or an online store or you get it as a gift, that brand new record probably doesn't need a deep clean. There are certainly exceptions to that rule, I would imagine, but for the most part, I think that's a a pretty good uh, general guideline. Um, A new record should, with the exception of a handful, a little bit of dust or paper, you know, particles from the sleeve or whatever, uh, those should be a pretty clean thing. But you're going to need an option for cleaning up dirtier, older, used records. And again, I mentioned this earlier, if you're buying these records on the cheap, usually one of the reasons these records are cheap is they're either not in great condition, they're available in abundance, <clears throat> or they're filthy. Um, sometimes you uh, you hit the jackpot and you get all three. You, uh, <clears throat> you get a copy of a record that uh, there were tens of millions of copies made, um, you got a copy that's a little chewed up, and mostly you got a copy that's, that's really dirty. We're going to talk about the dirty ones now. So in terms of uh, a, a wet, clean solution, let's, let's look at this from the standpoint of three different approaches. The first approach is what I like to call the disc washer kit. And that, I think, is a, is a, <clears throat> a, uh, a brand name. Essentially, this is a, a small unit. It's about the size of a record brush, but it's got like a sort of velvety kind of brush to it. And it's, it, the one I have has a wooden handle. And in the wooden handle, there's a little hole that's cut out. And in that hole, there's a bottle of cleaning fluid that slides in there. And the way this works is you apply some of this cleaner. Um, I apply it to the brush itself. You can, if you prefer, apply it directly to your record. I find it works better if you apply it to the brush, but um, to each his own. And then you you then take that, um, that brush and you essentially lightly scrub the record. Uh, the one that I have of these was actually a gift from a friend several years ago uh, that he got at a garage sale for 50 cents. These are out there. You can find them at garage and estate sales. You can probably find them at Salvation Armies. <coughs> oh, I apologize. I have a little sip of tea here. Um, I, uh, the, the winter months are bad for my asthma, so thanks for putting up with my hacking. I appreciate it. Um, so that's one way to do a wet clean. That... That is essentially um, kind of the old standard of how you would wet clean a record. Um, these dishwasher kits, if you buy one new run, 18, 20, 22 bucks, depending on what you get and where you get them from. Another option for you that I have employed in the last three or four years that I think works great is for about the same amount of money as the dishwasher kit, you can make a full quart of homebred cleaning, homebred, homebrewed <coughs> cleaning solution. And you can find recipes for this on YouTube. Um, I think the guy who I found mine through his his YouTube handle was Supra Wes. Um, but this is the method that I use at my house. I went into my local uh, Meyer, which is a local like department and grocery store kind of thing. And, um, and they... They have, uh, I'm sure you can get them at hardware stores too, or like Lowe's and Home Depot. You can buy an empty spray bottle. So it's just a little a little spray bottle that you might put like, you know, Windex or <clears throat> uh, water for your plants or that kind of thing in. And you buy one of these and it, you, you use a tiny little bit of dishwasher rinse and some really um, high percentage uh, uh, rubbing alcohol 
And then the rest of it is distilled water. And again, Supra West is the, the, the YouTube handle that I got mine from, but you can get any, there are any number of these concoctions and homebrew recipes online. And <clears throat> what you do is you spray your record down or you spray a, a microfiber cloth. I went and bought a, a set of three yellow microfiber cloths that are brand new. And I opened them up and then I put them inside of a Ziploc storage bag. And the only time I use them is to clean my records. And this works great because once the microfiber cloths run out, you're probably still going to have a bunch of the solution left. Like I said, I, I buy all kinds of dingy, dirty, gummed up, crappy records that I've gotten from uh, <clears throat> buying used or getting them from friends and family. And I've used maybe a third of the bottle of cleaning solution that I made three years ago. Uh, and I'm, I'm cleaning lots of records and I'm cleaning them pretty often. So this stuff is going to last you literally years. And I suspect that before you run out of homebrew solution, you're going to run out of microfiber cloths, but these are not a lot of money. You can get a set of two or three of these for just a few bucks. You can order them online if you don't like to leave the house and go out into the real world. But again, <clears throat> Home improvement stores like Lowe's and Home Depot usually have them. Grocery stores, supermarkets, um, big box retailers, things like that. Um, <clears throat> you can uh, you can get a whole setup for eighteen or twenty bucks. That's literally going to last you years. Um, is it better than the dishwasher kit? I have both. No, I don't know that necessarily one is better than the other. I like the control of the cloth because I can literally, you know, lay it down on a a, a soft uh, surface. You know, so I can lay one microfiber cloth down and I can literally set my record on there and really scrub away. Um, you can just hold it in your hand. You can, you know, <clears throat> you can literally just just kind of etch off. Not etch off is the wrong word, but you can kind of wash off any residue or dirt or gumminess or gunk. What other technical term you want to use. Um, and if you really want to step things up. <coughs> excuse me. Again, I am so sorry. Mm. goodness gracious. If you really want to step things up, you can go to a cleaning machine. So you've got, essentially, we talked about it, there are three different <clears throat> um, sort of groups. There's the, the dishwasher kit, which is like a brush. There's the homebrew or a, a cleaning solution that you buy, and then there's a cloth. So those are those are basically two versions of the same thing. And then the third option is a machine. Now, you can literally spend thousands of dollars on like a VPI cleaning machine that's completely automatic and it has a, uh, <clears throat> a hose on it for sucking off the extra fluid and there's a brush and it, you know, it spins like a record player and it makes a ton of noise. And this is great if you need to clean off thousands and thousands of records. Like I remember seeing a thing a few years ago, there was a flood at a famous old radio station in Nashville, the call letters of it escape me right now, <clears throat> and they needed to go through. And literally try to restore and rescue um, thousands of records that had been damaged in this storm and in this flooding. And they were using a VPI cleaning machine. <clears throat> and that's great if you need to do that. I would suspect for most of you, you're looking to clean off a handful of records as you buy them. Or you're, you're cleaning off a couple of records a night. Or, you know, a few records on the weekend. <clears throat> So the the best bang for your buck in the record cleaning machine angle is this thing that's called the Spin Clean Record Cleaner, which runs about 80 bucks. And this is a manual cleaning kit, and it allows you to fill um, the basin of this yellow plastic. It's like a box, basically. And 
the 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 basin gets filled up and there's a you get a solution and then you water you distill and water down that solution and then that creates basically the cleaning fluid that you're going to use and that sits in the basin and then there's a holder on which there is a spindle and the <clears throat> the record goes sort of in between the two holders on that spindle and then it will allow you to actually spin the record it's difficult to uh, sort of envision this while it's on a podcast, but you probably get the idea. There's a, there's a set of brushes that are in the cleaning solution, and the idea is that you spin the record, and that spinning motion with the combination of the brushes and the, uh, and the cleaning fluid uh, will clean these records, and then you set them aside, and you either dry them off with a cloth, or you simply set them in some sort of a rack and wait for them to air dry. <clears throat> um, this is great if you've got a ton of records to clean. But the problem here is that you fill the basin with that cleaning solution, and that means you're really designed to clean a whole stack of records at once. So you really kind of have to do these in chunks or in sections. If you see yourself cleaning a record or two or three or five at a time, then the dishwasher and the homebrew methods are probably more appropriate. And I don't, I'm not really a guy who cleans a back batch of records at a time very occasionally I will get like a stockpile of records that need to be cleaned. And when that happens, I generally clean them in stages. So if I get, say, you know, I had a situation two or three years ago where my aunt <clears throat> was cleaning out some stuff and she found a whole bunch of classic rock records. And some of them I gave away, some of them I kept for myself. Um, and it was probably 60 records. And they were all in pretty rough shape. And I didn't really feel like giving up a whole afternoon or an entire day or portion of a weekend to clean 50 or 60 records in one sitting. Now, if that's your idea of a good time, more power to you, man. Um, but <clears throat> I was really more of the mindset that like I was going to play the, the records I wanted to play and um, I was going to give away the records I wanted to give away. So I had <clears> – <throat> there were um, – six or eight records I decided to give to my friend Chad. And what I did was I pulled out those six or eight records and I cleaned those few records before I gave them to Chad. And then I had three or four records I wanted to play. I cleaned them. You get the idea. I didn't clean them all at once. I cleaned them in batches. So I would encourage you to kind of figure out what your listening habits are, figure out the best way. If you've already got a cleaning method and it works for you, keep doing it. The point is, if you're not cleaning your records, if you're not giving them a deep clean, and you're not brushing them off every time you play a side, you, you could be causing damage to your needle, and you could be shortening the overall life and quality of sound that you're getting out of the records that you have. <clears throat> Moving on. Uh, isolation feet. Now, this is not something that you absolutely must have, but this is a way that for 25 or 30 bucks you can really upgrade not only the sound of your record, but also how your turntable reacts to everything. So in case you don't know this, your turntable really shouldn't sit directly on your furniture. And what I mean by that is that you should not have a flat bottom of your turntable sitting directly on top of uh, whatever it is that your uh, turntable is resting on. So in my, in my case, I've got this sort of like mid-century modern kind of looking entertainment center deal that we bought at ikea and <clears throat> i have some isolation feet underneath my turntable and then that sits on top of the the isolation feet basically sit on top of my uh my entertainment center and then my speakers are separate 
And the big lesson here is you need to make sure that your speakers are not sitting on the same piece of furniture that your turntable is sitting on. So if your turntable is sitting on the same piece of uh, furniture and you've got bookshelf speakers that are to the right and left of it, the first thing you should do is try to make sure that you can elevate those speakers and get them off of your, I'm sort of on a tangent here, but you need to get them off of that piece of furniture. You need to hang them from the wall. You need to put them on a shelf. You need to do something so that the vibrations from those speakers do not run back <clears throat> to your turntable, causing skipping and skating issues. Okay, you don't you don't want that. That's not ideal. Um, it will cause vibrations <clears throat> that will lessen the uh, quality of the sound. And again, your needle will bounce all over and uh, cause damage to your records. You don't want that. And ideally, even if you don't need isolation feet, they're a nice thing to have because what they can do is is basically twofold. Number one, they can they can remove some of the the vibrations that exist from, so for example, if I walk by, I'm a big dude, I, I, I weigh more than I should. If I walk in front of my entertainment center, and I've got an old house with an old hardwood floor, <clears throat> and I walk in front of my entertainment center, there is going to be some small vibration that exists that gets carried from my foot through the floor to the entertainment center. Then that entertainment center will then vibrate ever so slightly. Now, obviously, if I stomp, and my friends will tell you that I am a stomper, um, if I walk heavily or clod past, there is the chance that I could cause the turntable to feel those vibrations, and then, of course, the needle's going to bounce around. <clears throat> so if we put isolation feet, these are usually like rubber feet. Uh, sometimes they're made out of some sort of weird, like, uh, super dense foam, depending on what you get. Um what you want to do is you want to basically have something to cushion that vibration. So if there are, um, you know, like if you've got pets or kids or whatever, if there's a vibration in the furniture, the isolation feet will sort of do most of the, the, the shock absorber work. Um, I'm, it's interesting how as I've gotten to sort of explaining these things and looking at my notes, some of this stuff is, is A, really hard for me to explain in words. So if I'm not making sense, I sure apologize because this is supposed to be an informational podcast. The second thing is, it's also interesting how much of a visual person I am trying to explain this stuff to you when I really would like to show it to you. So perhaps I'll do a video on this very subject. But in essence, you can buy a set of a set of feet. <clears throat> you know, you can buy them on, on any of the other sites that I mentioned previously, like Amazon, Needle Doctor, Soundstage Direct. Um, turntable lab. They they all have some version of this. And you should be able to get a set of four feet for around 30 bucks, $25, $30. And even if you have a pretty firm setup and you don't feel like you have a lot of a, a lot of bouncing around in your house, it's kind of a nice little insurance policy to have. So even if you don't want to go out and get something like um some isolation feet, if you've got like a super heavy piece of wood that you can put some rubber feet on or you can put some little, um, uh, almost like the little furniture pads <clears throat> so that, again, there's another layer of separation between your actual furniture and your turntable. You just want to create something to kind of help act as, again, a shock absorber between the furniture itself 
and your turntable. Because again, the more vibration that it gets exposed to, the more bouncing around that needle is going to do. It could come out of the groove. It could skip altogether. It, again, it could skate side to side. There's all kinds of different stuff that could happen. And you just, this is a nice way for not very much money for you to kind of, um, you know, take a little more care with your records, get a little more quality out of your sound, and, um, <clears throat> and make sure your records and your needle last a little longer. Now, the last thing I want to talk about certainly sounds like the most boring of these. Yes, it's even more boring than a stylish brush. Stylish brush. That was good, Matt. Stylus brush. That's an interesting little tongue twister there. Um, we've all had that moment where we find this gem of a used record, like in a stack at the Salvation Army, and it's only 50 cents. The jacket looks pretty good. And then you go to pull that, that record out and take it out of its little cardboard womb, and you find this chewed-up record inside with no paper sleeve. You've all been here before. I, in my case, the first time I saw it was a bunch of records that I stole from my parents. So they would have these, these records that, that I really enjoyed listening to as a kid, that by the time I was a teenager and I wanted to abscond with them or you know, I wanted to, like when I first moved out of the house, you know, I wanted to take that stuff and I, and I took it and realized, oh, wow, my mom's copy of Bookends by Simon and Garfunkel is absolutely chewed to shit because there's no sleeve inside. Um, we've all been down that road. So what happens is, as you take that record in and out, that cardboard is pretty porous, and it will scratch up that record. The other thing is there's, there's dust and dirt that gets in there, little specks of stuff, and that friction can cause scratches, it can cause gouges, um, you're more likely to touch the record with your fingers and not grab it by the label or by the outside of the <clears throat> the rim of the platter. And so, um, surely by now you all know that your records should come with a paper sleeve inside the jacket. But, you know, we've all got some of these that either, you know, don't have a sleeve, didn't come with a sleeve, the sleeve is destroyed. Um, you know... Even if you've got records that are not in pristine condition, like that Simon and Garfunkel record that I'm talking about, do you want it to get worse? Yeah, maybe you're looking for an upgrade copy, but in the meantime, until you find that or until you decide you want to spend that money on that, don't you want to keep that record at least in the condition that it's already in? It's not going to get better, so you might as well take care of it so it doesn't get worse. And more to the point, if you have some extra special records that you want to take really good care of, I would recommend that you get some poly-lined paper sleeves. Now, what these are is your typical uh, paper sleeve. They usually come in white or black, and they've got that hole in the center so you can see the label. But instead of just being that, that plain paper kind of a thing, on the inside of the sleeve where the record goes, there's this very little thin layer of um, plastic. And it's sort of a special version of plastic. It's a... Um, it's a protective thing that, that sits on each side of the sleeve, and as the record slides in there, it is much less likely to get scratched because even paper sleeves, you know, paper's a natural product. It's made from a tree, so you do have the occasion where those paper sleeves can, even if they're taken care of well, can, you know, scuff up your record a little bit. It's certainly better than nothing, but if you've got a record that you're really, really happy with or that you're really excited about or it's kind of rare or it's a special thing, it's sentimental, it's hard to get another copy of it, you can buy a set of 50 polyline sleeves for $24.50. You can get 100 of them for 37 bucks. I get mine at a place called Bags Unlimited. Now, this is not an, an endorsement, but I've bought stuff from them on several occasions, and 
unless you're buying in massive, massive quantities like that, like require like it to be freighted to you. Most of the sleeves and bags and jackets that they sell are uh, uh, freights included. That's the word I'm looking for. So you certainly don't need to, you know, do the polyline thing for anything other than albums that you're really kind of taking extra special care of. I think the rec- the regular typical paper record sleeves that they have are a great choice for the vast majority of everybody's vinyl collection. Um, if you want to get really intense um, and and get a bunch of polyline sleeves and swap those out, especially if you've got a small collection, if you've got three or 400 records and you want to take excellent care of them and you want to do that kind of throughout the year and buy a set of 100 every month or two, that's a great way to go. Um, that's an incredible way to sort of ensure that you're going to have that record forever. Um, but I, I would encourage you um, to make sure that all of your records are in a sleeve and that your records that you're particularly proud and protective of, go ahead and get a few polyline sleeves and kind of, you know, sort of baby them a little bit. Um, the regular paper sleeves start at 13 bucks for a set of 50, and it's not a lot more to jump up to $100. Um, I, I have to believe that for most of us, 50 or 100 of these are a good start. I don't think there are too many of us with 400 records sitting around with either incredibly damaged or no paper sleeve at all. But again, I would just encourage you to make sure that you're taking good care of your records. Um, as far as the outside, as far as the jackets are concerned, you can buy bags or what they call poly jacket sleeves. Um, and, and basically your entire record goes inside that. So the, the record goes inside the sleeve. When I say the record, I mean the actual platter, the actual disc goes inside the paper sleeve. That paper sleeve goes inside the cardboard jacket. And then that whole thing, the, the jacket sleeve and, and record, go inside the poly bag. I'm sure that I'm, ex- I'm over-explaining this to most of you, but some of you might need to kind of get a visual here. Now, over the last couple of years, I personally have been trying to get a bag on pretty much every one of my records. And as I've mentioned to you before, uh, my record collection right now is at about 2,600 records. And, um, uh, you know, I, I still have a bunch of um, thrift store records and hand-me-down records and things that are, you know, quarter, 50-cent dollar records that I don't have bags on. But pretty much everything else, I, I have, you know, poly jacket sleeves on. Uh, if I if I get, you know, a new record or I buy a series of used records like on Discogs or on eBay or through an online seller, um, I will make sure that as I catalog those and I clean them and listen to them, I'm, I'm putting almost all of those into some kind of bag or a poly jacket sleeve. Um, actually, I'm, I'm out. Uh, just about out right now. I've got like half a dozen left and I just had some new records show up today. So I'm probably going to run out, which means before I head away for the weekend, I'm going to need to order some more of these. Um, again, I get these from Bags Unlimited. They're 22 bucks for a hundred of them. If you buy more, the price per hundred goes down. Um, if you've got a ton of albums and very few of them are in sleeves, I would recommend that you prioritize them. So start with the ones that have the largest monetary and sentimental value. The idea behind this is that it's supposed to eliminate a thing called shelf or ring wear. I'm sure you've seen this before where you've got an old record and you can sort of see a halo around where the edges of the record are imprinted onto the front of the jacket. Um, We've all seen this before. I'm sure if you go and look at your record collection, you can probably find one in fairly short order. The idea is that as the sleeves, and when I say sleeves, I mean the, the the outside jacket, when the jacket is holding the record, leans against a whole stack of other records, even if they're stacked upright like they're supposed to be, um, there is some weight as it leans to one side or the other. 
And that coupled, so the weight of the record in there coupled with pulling that in and off the shelf a bunch can create some wear both on the bottom of the record, on the record jacket, and around that ring where you get the ring or shelf wear. Well, the idea behind putting it in a bag is that that pressure and that wear will happen on the outside of the bag and not on the sleeve itself. And again, if you've got these and you know what I'm talking about, I apologize for explaining this to you like you're four, but I know we've got some newer vinyl owners out there who don't necessarily know that this is something they could or should do. So if you've got some nice records, put them in a plastic bag. If you've got a whole bunch of records, prioritize, get a hundred or a couple hundred of these. I would recommend that you get some and have them in inventory so every time you go out and you go shopping, um, you can put your new records into a bag when you bring them home. Um, again, these are these are going to run you about 20, 22 bucks for a hundred of them. Um, feel free to shop around for a deal that fits your you know your necessary quantity and, and what you want. But you know, I think that I think that these are just some some basic solutions that are really an enormous way for you to make a big difference both in how much enjoyment you get out of listening to your records and helping your records and your turntable last. So I just kind of want to run through these and highlight them really quickly. So some of the things I would consider getting are uh, a cork record mat. I, re I recommend the uh, Simple Mat Record Mat, which is $26.95 from Needle Doctor. Amazon's got the Turntable Lab Cork Mat for 20 bucks. Those are both great products. Uh, get a stylus cleaner. Either get an inexpensive brush or some kind of wet-dry brush with a little cleaner that goes with it so that you can make sure that you're cleaning your needle off on a regular basis. Um, get a record brush. Get both uh, uh, a dry brush so that you have one for every time you play a side. You should be cleaning that dirt off, even if it's a brand new record that you just pulled out of the sleeve. You should be doing that. And get some kind of a wet brush or a cleaning solution thing. Get, get the spin clean, get a homebrew thing, buy a disc washer, buy something else that's similar to that. Find a way to get your, your turntable up off of the furniture that it's on. Buy some isolation feet, get a nice big chopping block or cutting board kind of thing, and put some furniture uh, pads on the bottom of it so that... Um, the little felt pads on it so that you can kind of improve the shock that gets absorbed between the furniture that sits on the floor in your listening room and your turntable. It will make a difference. Even if you can't hear it, I promise you it will make a difference. And finally, get some paper sleeves and some poly bags so that you can take good care of your records and your jackets. These are some things you can do really simply. Again, they're not sexy and they do cost money. But it's a great way for you to kind of help to make sure that your collection lasts a long time and that uh, it's, it, it, it is something you can enjoy literally for the rest of your life. We'll be back in just a minute with another installment of the Dollar Bin Darling series. I've got a tiger by the tail that's plain to see. I won't be much when you get through with me. Well, I'm a losing weight and I'm turning mighty pale. Looks like I've got a tiger by the tail. Well, I thought the day I met you, you were meek as a lamb. Just the kind to fit my dreams and plans. Now the pace we're living takes the wind from my sails. And it looks like I've got a tiger by the tail. I've got a tiger by the tail, it's plain to see. I won't be much Welcome back. As many of you know, our Dollar Bin Darling series is a uh, semi-regular column 
wherein we profile a record that you can likely pick up in your local stores, bargain bin, or maybe even at a nearby thrift shop or uh, Salvation Army. The kind of place where you would need some stuff to clean your record is the sort of place that you would find the Dollar Bin Darlings. A couple of recent installments that we've done on the podcast were uh, Warren Zevon's uh, Excitable Boy and Honky Honky Chateau by Elton John. And this week... We bring you Buck Owens and the Buckaroos' Tiger by the Tail from 1965. That, of course, uh, song that we came in from was the title track. And if you're of a certain age, you probably think immediately of TV's Hee Haw when you hear the name Buck Owens. Uh, beginning in 1969, Owens was one of Hee Haw's coasts, coasts, co-hosts uh, for something like 15 years. But long before that, he and his backing band, the Buckaroos, were a true powerhouse of country music and one of the primary architects of the Bakersfield sound. Perhaps most famous uh, Buck Owens uh, tune is Act Naturally, which the Beatles made famous and turned into a sort of rock and roll hit. But in a six-year period, right before Owens' win on Hee Haw, from 1964 to 1969, Buck and the Buckaroos released a torrent of 18 albums. That is literally an album every four months for six solid years. And this band amassed a catalog that, quite frankly, only legends can dream of. And one of the true highlights of that golden era of Buck and the Buckaroos is the 1965 release, Tiger by the Tail, which is what we're talking about today. Buoyed by a crackerjack rhythm section in the lead guitar lines and just gorgeously tight harmony vocals of Mr. Don Rich. There are 12 songs on this record and they take less than a half an hour to get through. And they are just this sort of beautiful little tight collection of heartbreak, woe, and sorrow with just a tiny little bit of ruckus thrown in. And the the apocryphal story goes that the title track was written by Buck Owens and Don Rich while they were in the backseat of a car right after they had spotted an Esso gas station that featured the phrase, put a tiger in your tank. And so Owens jotted down the phrase tiger by the tail, and then he and Rich, literally in the back of a a giant, I, I don't know what kind of car it was, I sort of see it as like a giant Buick where they both have enough room sitting in one of these massive you know, late fifties models with, you know, seats roughly as wide as a semi truck. And they're sitting there with a couple of guitars and they, they literally, you know, wrote the music right then and there and, and put the lyrics together in just a few minutes and came up with this gem, you know, and, um, most fans of, of classic country, um, even on the most rudimentary level are familiar with this song, but if you haven't heard it, I mean, you saw a little, you heard a little taste of it coming in. Um, it's cute. It's clever. It's, uh, you know, uh, Buck's got a great sense of humor. Um, one of the things that I think is really, really wonderful is that Owen's brand of country heartache is a much more humble approach than many listeners of sort of hardened old school country have grown accustomed to. So while Buck's always the one who's hurt in these heartbreak numbers, which is kind of, you know, the cliche or the trope of, of country music, he doesn't really seem that angry about it. And there's this resignation in his delivery and this culpability in his tone as if the, the, the jilting that his lover has given him was well-deserved and only a matter of time. So whether he's summing that up by explaining that his world stopped and the band played on or by talking about troubling me like a pair of 
you know, longtime, you know, pals who were, you know, joined at the hip like little kids running around like Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. Um, Buck Owens just has this way of inviting us to sort of feel his heartbreak instead of just bitching about it. He doesn't really tell us that that it's happening in so much that he kind of sort of lets us in on this secret about what his secret shame and pain is. And that's why I think that his humility is a gift and it gives them this sort of special and unique perspective in the classic country canon. And he even plays the sad sack with like this perfect aplomb in a beautiful song like Let the Sad Times Roll On. Put a quarter in the jukebox and let it play That same sad song that's been playing all day You know the one where his darling is gone So pour the red wine, play the jukebox and let the sad I am of the opinion that Buck Owens is an underrated master of country music. Now, Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson have become the sort of de facto mascots of this outlaw country movement, and rightly so. I mean, those guys are uh, unimpeachably great, and I'm not here to try to say that they're not incredibly awesome and that everyone in the world shouldn't know about Waylon and Willie. Those guys are icons of country music. And Merle Haggard gets to be the badass, and he should. And Johnny Cash has sort of become this patron saint of the darkness of country music and unfortunately, to a lesser extent, sort of become a pope uh, to uh, hipsters far and wide. But where, I ask you, where is the love and affection for Buck Owens? Sure, if you know him from Hee Haw, he may just be some goofy, uh, yokel singing TV star. But the legacy of that man runs much, much deeper. In fact, I truly believe that Buck Owens is a face that ought to be placed on the Mount Rushmore of country music. And at least the, the, the generations who know Merle and Johnny and Waylon and Willie, to many of those people who didn't live through the Buck Owens era, or who see him simply as a signpost of the hee-haw situation, he's just a footnote, if anything at all. And that, my friends, is a sad state of affairs. Buck Owens and the Buckaroos made, truly made some of the greatest albums of the country's greatest era, and many of them right now are lying in wait in your local dollar bin, at your local Volunteers of America, at your local Salvation Army. They might need a little TLC. They might need a deep clean. They might need a new sleeve. But much of the Buck Owens discography can be found in bargain bins high and low because of the sheer volume of the albums that that, that, that band sold during its heyday. And while almost Every single one of them is worth a couple of bucks. If you are just getting started with Buck Owens and the Buckaroos, to me, there is no better place to start than with 1965's Tiger by the Tail. So I want to close the show with one more of my favorite hard luck gems from that record called Crying Time. And before we go, I want to one last time thank you again for joining me this week. Don't forget to subscribe in iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes, or even if you're not, go over there and leave us a review. 
It really helps us find new listeners. And it helps give us uh, feedback on what you think of the show. Find us on Facebook, search Wax and Wayne. Go to Instagram and Twitter, at Wax and Wayne Music is our handle. Be sure to keep checking the site. There is new stuff going up all the time. So once again, I want to thank you for being here. I want to say how, how much of a treat it is to see the way that people are responding to our first month back on the virtual airwaves and back on the uh, real estate spot that we have on the inner tubes. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate your support and listenership. Um, once again, this is Buck Owens with Crying Time. Go out and find this record for a dollar or two, and we'll see you on the flip side next time around. Cheers. Oh, it crying time again. You're gonna leave me. I can see that far away look in your eyes. I can tell by the way you hold me, darling, that it won't be long before it's crying time. They say that absence makes the heart grow fonder And that tears are only rain to make love grow Well, my love for you could never grow no stronger If I live to be a hundred years old Oh, it's crying time again You're gonna leave me I can see that far away look in your eyes I can tell by the way you hold me, darling That it won't be long before it's quite time Someone you love better That's the way it's happened Every time before And as sure As the sun comes up tomorrow Ryan time will start When you walk out the door Oh, it's crying time again You're gonna leave me I can see that far away look in your eyes I can tell by the way you hold me, darling That it won't be